can't hear what these suckers say. I'm out here doing everything you suckers can't. To a million from some bands trying to bust the bank. The way I'm coming, it ain't fair. Welcome to another episode of Break Some Dishes. I'm John Strasner. We have guests with very strong environmental pedigrees on this podcast, and we talk about innovation and inspiration as it comes from science or social activism. But every so often, you know what? We have to come back to our roots. We need to remind all of you and ourselves that we are of this interior design industry. And so that brings us to today's guest. Today, we're getting a chance to talk with one of our very good friends, one of our very favorite people in the industry, who's also podcasting and finding some amazing conversations to share with us. His name is Doug Shapiro. He is vice president of research. Get a little of this title, you guys. He is vice president of research and insights at OFS. Is that not an amazing title? I love that title. And um, I'm going to make a deal with, with Doug when he retires, he's going to give it to me. But uh, we, we have to have that conversation. If you don't know who OFS is, they are a family-owned, community-driven parent company providing socially responsible furniture and logistics solutions in markets across the world. Yes, I looked that up to make sure I got it right. Um, and we thought, you know what, uh, it would be really interesting not just to find out what Doug is up to and who he's talking to and what he is discovering out there today. We thought it would also be interesting to hear from a furniture company. And uh, we were really amazed at some of the things that uh, OFS is up to. So we have a great episode. We're excited about it. And so let's get busy with Doug. Doug, I have to say, I really got to know Doug well on a big bus traveling from Milan to Florence. We got stuck. I didn't even know they had traffic jams in Italy, but the absolute worst traffic jam. I think we were stuck in one spot for about eight hours. I thought you told me that he was riding on the back of your Vespa. (laughs) What the, now I find out it was a bus. It was a a bus. It was, and we weren't supposed to drink wine on the bus, but we kind of broke all the rules and really got to know each other. And I love, OFS has a special spot for me. I I was just telling John before you got on, Doug, that the word authentic or authenticity, it's been a little overused, but we were, I was just talking with my company about it a little bit because we're trying to create this document. And if somebody asked me what manufacturer comes to mind to the word authentic or authenticity, I would have to say OFS. You guys have an incredible history, family run, Hank. <laughs> Hank, Hank was on us on that trip, right? For parts of it. You guys are just an open book in terms of family and just doing the right thing. And I'm really excited to talk about that and your podcast, Imagine a Place. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super, super happy to join you guys. Yes, that was quite a traffic jam in that bus. (laughs) And so uh, good memories to kind of look back and laugh on now. And I think authentic is just a great word for today's podcast. I've thought a lot about some of the questions that you guys might ask me. So I'm eager to share what we're thinking about these days when it comes to sustainability and some of what's unique about the culture inside of OFS. Well, everything you thought we were going to ask you, we're not. Yeah. 
We like to keep people on their heels. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what, what, what brought it up was I was talking to Verda and I said, gosh, you know, Verda, I'm on the OFS website right now, just kind of scrolling around. And it's such a nice website. And there's so many inspirational messages and images there. And I was like, gosh, you know, we we always focus on sustainability on this podcast. And we, we, we always will because it's a really important central theme. But one of the things, Verda, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, as we've had, I think we're on maybe our 17th episode. I feel like, you know, sustainability is, it's probably not the right word. I know we've talked about that. But as we share everybody's story about what they're doing and how they're involved, and it's a changing narrative. Right. And there it's really open to interpretation. Yeah, there isn't a good word for it. The way I see it is we're too late for sustainability. Right now, we've got to we've got to do more. We've got to put back more than we've taken because at this point, we've taken way too much already, and that's the problem with the word sustainability. But there isn't an, a good word for it. I don't know. What do you think, Doug? That's a good question. I, and I think that's a great point about putting back more. As I was really starting to think about sustainability or the decision to say, okay, I'm going to care now, that really got me into this like whole spiral of ideas around that concept because I started really connecting with or started to think about why, why has OFS cared? You know, why are we doing certain things? The forest land, you know, planting all these trees, we can get into some of those specifics, but I think the mindset is what really got me interested because I was thinking that it's not one person's idea and we're all kind of following along with this idea that, okay, we need to care about the land or, we need to care about our planet. It's much more deep rooted. And it feels like, and, and I don't mean this just about OFS, just in general, that it's kind of cultural. It's hard to just decide that you're going to care, you know, one day. There's kind of like all these things that are happening that give you a framework and a culture that you approach the planet from. And that that culture kind of helps you make decisions. It helps you, it guides you on maybe how you approach your life. And I feel like that is something that as I look at why OFS does the things it does, it kind of all comes back to that. I feel like there's like two things that really guide that. And and the first being a sense of humility Mm -hmm. where it's like before you can say you're going to care about the environment, you know, like, or I'm going to change something now you have to have a sense of humility and it's this idea that there's you're part of something bigger the earth doesn't revolve around you i think what has kind of helped fuel that at least and i and, and there's there's more than one way to, to get to this sense of humility right there's a lot of ways to get there but when i just look simply at a fast it kind of got me in the state of mind it got me thinking about this i was looking at the kind of outdoorsy culture that this community has, the community of Huntingburg, there's a lot of hiking, fishing, farming, you know, and there is this sort of idea where like, I mean, it's not the Rocky Mountains, you know, but like right. the outdoor is the main show and, and you're constantly connected to it. You're constantly reminded of it. And so you do have this sense of humility that you are part of something that needs to be taken care of. The second one is this sort of mindset around time. Are you short-term minded? Are you long-term minded? I think 
how you view time also will impact how you begin to think about the planet and the place around you. Obviously, when you invest in forest land, you never do it for yourself. You never do it for even the next generation. You do it for the ones you never see. So, so Bob's not here anymore. He was the founder of the company. You know, he bought up to 7,000 acres of forest land in Southern Indiana that we still manage. You know, a tree lives for 80 years or so. The preservation was not for himself. But what's kind of neat, I think, is when people decide to stay in a community and they decide that this is my community, you know, and my kids will come here. They don't come to the community to do some work, better themselves and move on. They come to community to stay. And I think when people decide to stay, it does change their perception of time. And, and there's a lot of that in Huntingburg, Indiana. There's a lot of like third, fourth generation families that, that are just, the kids are staying, people are staying. And so there's this kind of mindset around time that I've seen that's different than I think in other places. And so I, I look at some of the things Bob did, and we love to celebrate Bob and, and, and all the environmental work he's done. But I also think that there's kind of like this bigger thing happening in Huntingburg, Indiana, that's kind of pulling at all of us and shaping what we think about the planet and how we act. We've been talking at my firm, we're looking at creating this eco playbook and these chapters. And one of them is going to be connecting to nature, biophilia in essence, thinking that the more connected you are to nature, the more you're going to care about the planet. I think that's why OFS is interested and committed to these green initiatives. On the website, you guys talk about the Acanthus Row. It's just a simple community garden for your employees. And the food that you produce goes to local food banks and such. And it's that type of gesture. It's a simple, small thing. But I think that really goes a long way in getting people to care. That's a great point. I have seen that. And it's like there's things like that kind of in that community, not just at OFS. There is this sort of kind of sharing. There's great farmers markets for such a small community. I mean, there's there's great care for the land. I think that that's kind of what what Cool Springs has also become. And for those people listeners that don't know what Cool Springs is, so OFS furniture manufacturer, we also have this kind of play center, education center called Cool Springs, and uh, it's located inside about 600 acres of the forest land that we manage. We've taken it and created kind of an education center. It was one of those things where you're carving down these trails, you're putting up a lodge. Um, this is, you know, 10 years ago or so. And people are wondering, like, what is Hank doing? Why is he doing this? That's one of the great things about being a family-owned company is, like, it didn't matter if other people didn't understand it at that time. We were going to do it. And now that it's done, it's become a place where we bring in youth and we bring in every, everybody from Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to head of uh, forestry research for Purdue who comes in and wants to use our resources to kind of learn and experiment and find ways to kind of help create healthier forest lands uh, for the country. It's kind of neat that we've got this great education source right in our backyard. And, and again, like just seeing that there and knowing what's happening, it's that constant reminder, just like a community garden or just like biophilia, you know, when you're surrounded by that, it does help remind you. Well, and for people who don't know, right, OFS, if they don't know who OFS is, OFS uh, manufactures commercial office furniture. So you use a lot of wood. It's only fitting that, you know, your 
creating a sense of community around knowledge of this resource that you you take up, but you're also giving back, right? I, th- I think it's interesting too, you know, Verda, do you remember when we were talking with uh, Jason McLennan uh, a, a week or so ago? And Jason said something that I thought was really interesting and, and I would kind of like to get Doug's opinion on it because I, I was asking Jason about the whole concept of sustainability, how it's a pretty big problem because you're basically saying we have to save the planet and it's kind of overwhelming. And I think a lot of people need to break off a piece of that problem and just work on it. And, um, and I was like, well, so, you know, like, how do you prioritize? Like, you got to save the planet. How do you save the planet? You just run around saying, oh, my God, we have to save the planet. Do you say, well, here's what I can do today, right? And he's, his response kind of surprised me. He almost, like, called us all out. He was like, you know what? He said, everybody is about carbon, capture carbon, capture carbon, capture carbon. We can't just go around worrying about carbon because there's more to the problem than that. So we can't just focus all of our efforts on on recapturing fugitive carbon or saving the planet from greenhouse gases. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? He's like, we have to get comfortable holding on to multiple problems without being overwhelmed. And yeah, that kind of sucks and it doesn't sound very easy, but maybe there's no easy way to do this, right? And there's a lot of problems. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He blew my mind. I've, I keep calling it the climate crisis. And he's like, you can't call it just, it's not just about the climate. It's about so many other things, biodiversity loss, habitat loss. We need better words for all of this. Yeah. I I think, you know, a lot of it is, you know, what Doug's describing is education and awareness and appreciation, right? And if you, you get a community that appreciates your resources, then they'll obviously work harder to take care of them. That's a big part of it, you know? You know, I, I think this idea of holding on to getting comfortable holding on to more than one problem is dead on. You know, I'm seeing it inside our company. We're getting very serious about subjects that maybe we we were not as serious about 10 years ago. You know, um, circularity is, is a huge one for us where, I mean, it is front and center in every product development conversation every brand conversation. I mean, it is really big on our agenda, just all the the amount of waste that the furniture industry accounts for, you know, and how do we get at that? It was a great quote from Angie Lee that I hung on to. We have to fall in love with our closets again. And I love that. And it felt like that was like, that was the spirit in which like we all kind of need to come to the planet with, make the most of the things we have. And then the things we're making, make them so that, they can live longer and they can have more meaning throughout their existence, different meanings, maybe. That's a big problem that now our heads around that problem, too. It's not just around, uh, you know, deforestation and, uh, you know, like you said, capturing carbon. Maybe at one point it was enough uh, to say, you know, like, oh, well, we're doing something, right? But that it was never even about doing something. It was very early on. We were using wood. This is, you know, dating back to the 1930s. We started in 1937. We were using wood all the time for furniture and it became super clear that we need to be putting back right this is about preservation this is about not just preservation of kind of like a resource and an industry but uh you know we became very interested in the natural habitat the natural wildlife and and preserving uh, the soil and that sort of thing so it became a lot 
a lot bigger of a conversation than just sustaining our business. That was connected to the idea that we need to do something there, right? I don't think the waste problem back then was as evident as it is now. You know, did you see the Metropolis, recent Metropolis issue, November, December issue? The cover says, oh, I have it right here. Interior designers, save us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a right. little bit of an expose on the interior design industry, looking at the fact, especially commercial, what we do at O plus A, most, a lot of these projects are short-term leases. If you factor that in, interior designers may have a larger carbon footprint than architects mm. as great, if not greater. I'm thinking a lot about long-term. Yeah. Things lasting. I liked what you said about maybe things last, or maybe they, they become other things because we also have to address this short-term problem. Maybe things shouldn't last that long, but not that they should become trash, but that maybe they need to become something else mm. with, or have a plan for them to become something else within that when that short lease ends so that there's multiple ways to approach the problem. Right. 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 I mean, you don't want to be with the, uh, with the K cup guy who's like, <laughs> I can't believe what I've done. I agree. So right. something interesting, like if we're thinking about that now, wow, what a challenge for design. Yeah. If you're in industrial design right now, I mean, to be working on that problem is pretty exciting. I think. I super exciting. Now, do you guys do any kind of end of life program, take back program or anything like that or thinking about it? We are in a big way and uh, can't share everything. It's a big part of our conversations now. And we kind of recognize, you know, Amanda Schneider pushed us in this direction when she came on the, the podcast. She talked about the next innovation, not being product, but being process. And we really mm-hmm. think process could be could play a big role in this kind of second life and, and this innovation around circularity. Um, so that process as regards to that is something we're digging into right now. That's interesting that you said that. I'm sorry, John, that you said that because I've been thinking a lot about circularity, circular economy, a new economy. We make too many things. We use too many things. We throw away too many things, but your business is about selling things. And even our business, in a sense, is, right? Creating a design that requires all these things. But I feel like sometime soon down the road, we all need to reimagine a different economic model for ourselves. And like Amanda said, I love that quote, that maybe it's about incorporating process or some kind of service, right? So you have product and you're you're making some profit off of that, but maybe you're also, you've got a whole nother business that you've retold. Right. Right. Yeah. I think the movement has become a lot more self-aware. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, Doug, when you talk about process, right. You know, we're also talking about um, sort of this understanding that there's a ripple effect, right. So OFS creates this ripple and it affects people and it affects communities. And I was just thinking, you know, Bert, I think it's Patrice that is working on, you know, creating this plastic brick right? And he wants to build a hundred houses. His goal is to build a hundred houses. He's building houses for families in India that yep. live on landfills. A panel, a wall yeah. made out of plastic. And, uh, and he wants to build houses for these people. And it's about that awareness that you know that there's people that live 
on landfills because they're collecting recyclable plastic. That's their livelihood. And they raise their families on these landfills. And now there's companies that are noticing that these communities exist and they exist because of them. Huh. And now you're accountable for them. You're responsible, right? Right. So I think that that's part of the iteration of this movement is that amount of self-awareness. And maybe it started with something much more obvious, like, you know, that movie Dark Waters, where who was the chemical company? Was it DuPont that was, you know, putting Teflon chemicals into the water? And, and they were sort of made to be aware of the impact that that action was having on a community. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's. I don't know. It's fence line communities that are impacted by oil refineries. It's and you're talking about OFS knowing that they have a community that they're responsible for too. You know, it's awareness into action, though. I'm thinking about the fact that I think we all are going to have to be doing things completely differently than we're doing now, and what that looks like, I really don't know. <laughs> but early on, Doug, you mentioned that the idea of caring. And a connection. I think about it sometimes, like I'm doing this podcast, I'm part of this like mm-hmm. climate group and I'm doing these things, but personally in my life, I'm trying to drive less. I'm trying to not buy plastic. I'm trying to do all these things, but it's so hard because what's available to us and right. what we have to do every day, it's, it is really hard to make actual change. It, it is. I, I think that that action part is, you know, it keeps us all feeling a little guilty at times, right? Are we doing enough? I did hear that you know, empathy, em- empathy now is kind of like a baseline, like, all right, you just have to have empathy for those around you. You have to take action on that empathy now. It's, it's about having compassion. When I feel like I'm not doing enough, one of the things that I remember is I do think that change can happen through individuals doing things and, and, and great change. But, but I think big change can happen when people get together to decide that we're going to do something. So for instance, I mean, I'm, I'm going to brag on OFS just because it's the only stats I know. 120,000 trees in the last 18 months in the ground, right? I couldn't do that, you know, but a whole bunch of people that care about something could do it. So when I feel like maybe I can't do enough Am I connected to a company? Maybe it's not a company. Maybe it's a church or whatever it is. You know, am I connected to a group that is making a difference? That's how I overcome that. And so that's kind of how I, you know, one of the reasons I wake up excited is like, I am helping OFS. I know that I'm I'm doing things to help OFS. I'm relying on knowing that, you know, they're going to make good decisions. They're going to help lead this effort. And there's going to be a group of people behind that. And we're all kind of contributing to that. And so I think it's okay to know that too. If, if you're not part of that, well, gosh, you know, maybe it's time to go, to go ask for that or go find somewhere else that, that is going to make a difference in the world and, mm. and go help them grow, you know? Great. Yeah. Great point. Individual action is important, but if you can get a business or policy that moves the lever that much faster. And it just takes a few companies to lead the way and more will follow. Uh, Chad Nelson had a uh, favorite quote by Margaret Mead. Never doubt what a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. 
Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Yeah, it's great. Right. <laughs> Interesting, right? Doug, tell us about your uh, tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, I'm excited to launch an episode with you guys soon uh, this spring. Uh, it's probably so- going to be your best. It's probably going to be your best. I'm not going to lie. I can't imagine it being not the best. Verda, what do you think? John, just don't mind him. So. <laughs> it will be one of the most entertaining. I can, I can enlightening. I don't know. We'll see. Imagine a place, you know, when we, when we started it, we knew that the industry was full of interesting people. It was full of good people, people that have things worth sharing. We knew enough to say, okay, let's, let's move in that direction. Let's capture uh, the impact that place has on people's lives. But I think we've kind of come closer to a a deeper mission around uh, inspiring a more courageous generation of, of designers and a more curious generation of designers. So I would say that those two themes have kind of captured a lot of the content. How have you seen it evolve? How have you seen it? How have you seen it evolve? Have you felt like it? I mean, you just kind of said you feel like you're landing someplace different. I mean, has it, has that happened? Yeah. How many episodes now? Oh, the podcast is probably, I mean, between 25 and 30 episodes right now, along with the podcast, you have videos, right? We have videos, we have articles, we have a printed publication. So it's kind of a whole collection of media forms that express the power of place in their lives that inspire designers around curiosity. Cause I, I do think curiosity is something that we lose. We lose from time to time. You know, we, How so? we stop. What do you mean? We don't explore as much as we should. You know, we, we don't go deeper, you know, we like get we the headlines. Into our own little comfort zone. Yeah. We get comfortable. We, we, we read the headlines. We stop there and we stop getting exposure to the outside world. Now, some people, I mean, it's just wired inside of them. They can't help but be curious all the time, right? But can I make that easier for you? Maybe, maybe I can bring you things, you know? And, and so I, I feel like Imagine a Place has gone there. And then in addition, this idea of uh, capturing those who have been courageous, right? Because I mean, that's part of what you guys were doing, right? You, I mean, part of how you got to where you are was through courage uh, and, and both of your careers and, even the podcast you're, you're, you're out there is you, you took a courageous step to put a podcast out. It's like putting a piece of yourself out there. It can be scary. I'm sure there was a moment of courage you, you went through. I don't think we fully explored it before we decided to do it, <laughs> which maybe, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that was a good thing. One of the things that I find I do all the time now is I past episodes always come up because to me, What's happening with our podcast is it's taking. I've heard. I don't know if you if you believe this or not, but it's taking on a life of its own. It's evolving on its own. Verda and I are not directing it anymore. I don't feel. And, and I think about we had Russell Greenberg. Russell Greenberg Rex, from Rooks yep. Design, and we were talking about this, and he said, "I'm so mad at myself because I waited for a long time." to exercise my voice because I wanted to make sure that I was right. And he said, you just have to go out there and start and don't worry about if you're right or not. If you feel it, if you're passionate about it, if this is what you want to say, say it. And if you're not right, 
you can course correct, you can improve, you can evolve, right? And he said, too many people wait, they wait, they wait, they don't want to be wrong, they don't want to be imperfect. They're waiting for perfection, you know, and then they're going to come out with this, right? Yeah, the longer you wait, the more complex it gets, the harder it is to actually do what you're thinking about. So we, we launched the podcast. We didn't launch it. I'm sorry. I started interviewing people in like fall of 2019. We didn't launch till May of 2020. And, you know, there's a lot of factors there. But to be honest, like I was a pretty bad host in the beginning, <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and I'm, listen, we were too. So were we. We, were getting, we still are. We're getting we still better. are. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean there's, Bert is yeah. a lot worse than me, but we're getting her up there. Where she needs to. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's 15 interviews that never launched because mm. I was still understanding a, a version of what you said. Right. I was concerned with what I was going to say. I learned a lot about listening, actually. I learned a lot about listening on the podcast mm. and the power of listening and how listening is not just about hearing. I heard a great quote from a person I interviewed. She said, you know, how can I hear what you're not saying? And so when you listen just with everything, it does change the whole tone of the conversation my conversations began to be so much more meaningful. I let go of my own agenda or eagerness to like be right, you know, mm -hmm. and just really focus on the person I'm connecting with. That changed everything for the podcast. And that was something I've carried through like beyond the podcast now into my own personal interactions with people. You know, how can I hear what you're not saying to me? How can I listen with my heart, with my eyes, you know, with my body? And, and that's been kind of a, a life-changing experience for me through hosting the podcast. I love that. I think about that a lot, just conversation and how bad people are at conversation. It's one of my pet peeves. And it has everything to do with listening. People don't listen. They just Absolutely. want to talk. They just want the... They just want the soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> they just want to hear themselves. You're so right. You're so right. I, I feel like you know you're listening when you're not worried about the next question. Right? Yeah. right. Yeah. Or when you're not worried about that dead space. You're just, I'm just listening. I'm just listening. And when you're done talking, we'll deal with it when it comes. <laughs> it, yeah. It's so true. And the scary thing here is like you can you can pick that up. Like when I went back and I listened to those podcasts that we didn't launch because really, to be honest, like I simply wasn't listening with everything I had. I could hear myself not listening. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's visible. It's audible. Yeah. So, you know, it was a little scary to kind of go through that. Wow. Some great self-learning. If you've ever watched yourself, you know, give a speech or something, boy, you could pick up on things. It was the same sort of concept listening to myself listen that makes oh sense. yeah it's almost yeah. like you know you have a list of questions and it's just like okay i'm gonna go i don't care what you just said i'm gonna go to my next question now <laughs> <laughs> maybe no relation whatsoever to the two things but i got a I, question i'm gonna ask it <laughs> i was just trying to get this uh, somebody a guest on for our podcast and she just kept insisting on a list of questions and i'm like we just we don't do that yeah. <laughs> and she couldn't Sorry. get past it i think it's just yeah Doug, point us to a couple of episodes or listeners okay. that maybe they could that could get them excited about Imagine a Place. Maybe some courageous, Ooh. extra courageous people. Oh, you're asking them for uh, some favorites. Hmm. Yeah, I know. That's kind favorite of favorite children. Yeah. Doug. I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, you don't have to answer the question. No, <laughs> that's a great question. Put us in. I, I, I would, I would love to hear what he says. I mean, it's- I all right. You, I, I have a number. There's things I learned in the episode that are that are logical and factual, right? I said Jane talks about material health, right? I learned a little bit more about material health, but what I learned from the episode with Jane, let me actually walk you through that. So I, Jane's super interesting girl, Jane, Jane Hallinan. So I was really eager to interview her. I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be a really neat interview. And we get on the phone and it's like, all right, Jane, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, I'm ready for something exciting. And she goes, material health. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, and then I realized, okay, going through that, reflecting on that in my own mind, I'm like, all right, what I learned is that the things that really matter sometimes are not the things that capture our attention. And like, that's a big problem. Universally, that's a big problem, right? The things that matter don't hold our attention. So many many times the things that don't matter do, right? So that was a big moment. Well, I love that episode too, because she mentioned me like three times. (laughs) I didn't realize what a huge fan she was. Now here, you put yourself out there, you write an article and here, you know, halfway across the world over in Pittsburgh, you're making a difference. I'm a fan of hers as well. She is doing some amazing things and I love her campaign. I am not a decorator. So good, good one. Good one, Doug. Yes. Um, Let's see. I have some other great ones around culture. David Galulo, I think, of mm. West Coast here, had some great quotes around rap, culture. Rap studio. Yes, right. rap studio. And we, we got into culture, and he he really thought about culture, I feel like, not, not from like, oh, I read this article about culture, and here's what I learned, but he really personalized it as he was kind of thinking about it out loud. He said, you know, culture are these shared experiences that we have together. And that really stuck with me. And I thought deeply about that. And it's so true. And it's the things you learn together in a place with people, the things you experience together in a place with people really start to form culture. If we weren't together, we would start to lose that. And it really kind of connected me with the importance of coming together, right? As people, if you've ever experienced something amazing and you were by yourself, it doesn't feel at all the same. If anything, it almost feels like like a letdown, like a yeah. opportunity. Like, who? I have nobody to share this with. Did anybody else see this, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Just the quote, uh, remember when. Remember when this happened. Remember when so-and-so brought this in. You know, just that idea of people coming together to create culture I thought was interesting. And so that one always has kind of stuck with me. Yeah, it's it's a big part of the back to work, work from home conversation and what's going to happen with what I do, which is workplace design and what David does at Wrapped. Yeah. You can't have culture without people sharing an experience. You can't. So I totally get that. Right. I mean, you talk about we talk about corporate culture all the time. Right. That's like, here I go again. But when we were talking to Mir, right, he said culture trumps strategy. Oh, no, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week. You know, remember the Brian and um, Rebecca and Rebecca yeah. Papa. Yeah. From Mir. Pape. Pape. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get that for sure. I think, you know, it's funny too thinking about Jane, Helena and material 
transparency and uh, all of that, you know, the, the challenge with, with that conversation is you realize that's an old conversation. And that's the biggest frustration with interior design today is it's not sexy. And because it's not sexy, we've really put off talking about it. And when we look at just the documentary Toxic Hot Seat, that's old news, man. Old damn news. And we need people like Jane to start talking about it and making it a big deal. Because the problem is that the environmentalists, you know, these people that are in the weeds have been talking about it forever. And, you know, it falls on deaf ears, right? And I think, you know, I think about our industry and I think about Verda, your impact on it and the way that you are trying to catalyze change. And Doug, I think about your impact on the industry, you know, our voices and and Jane's. And thank God Jane's talking about material transparency. But by God, we've been, I mean, it's been a problem for a damn long time. Yes. And that's where I think Jason McLennan comes in. And he's like, I, I'm not gonna gonna put kitty gloves on for this conversation. I'm not gonna tell you it's gonna be okay. Just do what you can do. He's like, man up, woman up, deal with more than one problem at a time because it's kind of a big deal right now. And you know, Doug, what you said about how a sense of time, you know, is it long term? Are you by God? It better all be short term right now because we don't have a lot of it. You better be, you better have a sense of urgency. <laughs> you know what? That's it's interesting. It's like there's a blend there. You have to have a sense of urgency, but you know, I mean, you have to think that the things that happen after I die matter. You have to want. We have to want the planet to be a place, you know, that's amazing in 200 years, right? Isn't isn't it unbelievable that there's been this, these generations that really haven't cared and industries didn't need, I name the big one, (laughs) big oil that really just so completely short-sighted. They knew, they knew back in the sixties that this was going to be a problem. They, they did their research and they knew it's, 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 beyond comprehension that we don't look and, and, I, and I think of other cultures indigenous cultures that have a, a bigger connection to the cosmos or you know the the universe in a way and yeah it's, we need we need that connection for it's sure. a socio it's always been a socioeconomic problem it's always been that verda if you had to walk by a dupont factory every day on your way to work um, the chemical industry would be, would be top of mind for you, <laughs> but right. they don't they don't set up their factories in in San Francisco. They set them up in poor communities where you know people. What are they going to do? Right, they're barely m- making ends meet. So, you know that's where it's it's uh, yeah it's it's crazy. I just wanted to go back to time, which you mentioned early on, and John, you mentioned Russell from Rux. You have to check out his website. He has this amazing clock. They have a another company, Stick Bulb, that does lights out of reclaimed wood that can be flat packed. So there's a, a they're really looking at the full the full life and low impact. But they do this clock that's vertical and it's a drop every day that then drops into another section that's a drop every month or whatever that drops into another section that's a drop every year that then drops into another section that's basically a drop every century so the clock can track time through eons 
Right, right. He would love right. it. Yeah, I think and, he would love it. Yeah, and it makes wow. you, it makes you aware of time from a whole different unit of measure, right? You might want to talk to him. Russell Greenberg Rux, R-U-X. Yeah, you might want to get him on your on your imagine a place. No kidding. <laughs> talk about time. <laughs> I have all sorts of weird thoughts around. I've thought about time a lot, actually. We've all had a lot of time. I mean, we can about- save this. We can save this one. We can shelf it. And then, you know, at the, at the end, when you make it easier for you to cut this, we'll, we'll just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Let's get Russell on and we could do a, a conversation about time with you. Cool. I'd love that. All right. John, you were going to say something and I cut you off again. I'm mm. sorry. <laughs> oh, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to bring, I was going to go back to imagine a place and just ask Doug, you know, what do you want to accomplish with that podcast? What's your, you know, what do you see yourself doing with that? Wow. So I don't want to be an echo chamber. I mean, we, we don't need another group of people saying the same thing, you know, everybody else is. So, but I do want to bring forward stories and insights from people that can help us be more curious and be more courageous. I I feel like really that is what I would like to do. I would like people to listen in and find stories and insights that they wouldn't find, you know, by reading a magazine or just browsing the web, uh, firsthand accounts. I want it to be entertaining so that when when you're feeling inspired, you want to learn or you want to be inspired it's fun to do. You know, you can tune in and in 30 minutes you can learn something and and take it with you. We always kind of talked about what are they going to put in their pocket after they leave this episode and and, and take with them and say, Ooh, I'm going to hold on to that one. You know, and if, if I don't give you anything to put in your pocket, well, maybe I shouldn't make that an episode. And that's kind of, that's kind of where we've, uh, where we've taken it. I love that. I love that the bar that you've set for yourself. And I, I love the word curiosity. I think you've given us a, a number of great vocabulary words today on our episode. So we're at the top of the hour. I think that's a great place to end. John, did you have No, that's else? a great place to end, Verda. I agree with you. Well, yeah. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with you again. <laughs> it was great seeing you both. Yeah. We I... need to find ourselves on a bus again someday in Italy. Oh, someday I soon. <laughs> I don't care. Let it be a traffic jam. We'll bring the mics and we can just go, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Or at the very <laughs> least, I feel like I want to have these calls more often. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's so nice to connect with people. And, and Doug, it's good to it's good to hear from you as well. So thanks for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. And thanks for hosting me on your podcast. And I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. I think it's valuable work. And uh, whenever we get a chance, I always mention Break Some Dishes as a, as a place to go to, to really kind of find out more about what's going on out there when it comes to, well, let's use the word sustainability right now, when it comes to making the earth a better place. Awesome. Thank you for plugging us. Appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> Doug. Ha. Well, that was fun. You know, we don't often get to relax and just shoot the shit, but that's kind of what we did with Doug. And you know what? I love doing that. I'd have Doug on a little bit of every episode if I could. He's he's one of a kind and the sort of thoughtful individual that this uh, industry needs a lot more of. And you know what? We did talk sustainability. We talked sustainability. We talked social activism. We talked industry activism. And 
We really hope that you enjoyed it because we really had a great time catching up with Doug. He's an amazing guy and he is great for our industry. I want to give you a bit of a prelude to our next episode because as I say at every episode, I'm super excited about this episode. This next episode is absolutely amazing. We're talking to a scientist who is sort of like um, he's part scientist, part Viking explorer. His name is Marcus Erickson. Great name, right? Great name. Doesn't that just scream Viking explorer. Anyway, this scientist has sailed down the Mississippi River on a raft made of repurposed water bottles, right? And he made it, survived it, and he decided to sail through the Pacific from San Francisco to Hawaii on another homemade craft. So, you know, not only has he done, hear about that adventure, we're going to talk about that adventure on that episode, right? And also how he's finding plastic in the desert now too. Sad, but fascinating. Marcus is a fascinating guest and we think you're going to love our next episode. So tune in, please.